sometimes there are things that we face which seem insurmountable. Often these things come and find us by surprise. They're the things in life that we uh, don't want to get involved in, that we don't have to deal with, and they will arrive sometimes in our family lives or in our health or even across our national stage. And we don't want to have to deal with them and we don't want to have to process it, but we find ourselves in the midst of a battle. As we look at the passage today and we're going through Exodus and you can read the whole of the verses that I'm kind of looking at, uh, they're mentioned in the notice sheet, um, the reading that Derek's done and that I'm going to be focusing on is a little bit shorter, but please do take the time to read the whole of the story. As we come to today, there have already been nine plagues and the last plague is just about to be uh, thrown upon the Pharaoh. There is, if you like, a battle going on. A battle between the people of God and the people that enslave them. The distinction between Moses and Pharaoh is quite staggering. The Pharaoh is probably about 22 years old, not the same one that Moses ran away from. He's a royal in the biggest sense of the word. In fact, he's seen as a god, this young man. Perfection himself. Moses, at least 80 years old, brought up in the royal family, but he chose instead not to be identified with them in his 40s, but we uh, saw at the beginning of the story he identifies with his people, and then he runs away into the wilderness, and he's been living there as a shepherd for the last 40 years. He chooses not to identify with royalty, but instead to identify with his slave people. The Pharaoh does not recognize the Lord. In Exodus 5 verse 2, we read this. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. I will not let Israel go, the Pharaoh says. But Moses, Moses, who's 80 years old, has encountered the living God, the great I am Yahweh. Nine battles have commenced and each one, Moses won, the Lord won. And now they approach the last battle. But this is also a battle between Israel and Egypt, not just between two men. Egypt, who is full of power and might, who can exercise great building projects on the land and build pyramids. Look what they can achieve. And they do so by enslaving others. Verse 
by making them, making Israel bow before a foreign king. They are simply tools in the hands of a master oppressing race. But in this battle, God calls out his people and says that they have value, that they are worth something. They're not just an enslaved people. In fact, he's going to set them free. And this is also a battle between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt, as Pippa outlined so well last week. The Egyptian world dominated by so many gods. Every stage of their life on earth and the transition into the afterlife, all governed by different gods. And the Pharaoh being seen as the perfect God. But Pharaoh does not yet know the Lord. And so the plagues come. One for each of their gods and they are challenged and defeated. In Exodus 12 verse 12 it says this, I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. In this battle between Yahweh and the gods of Egypt, the living God wins the day. For a people who have been enslaved by the gods of Egypt, they need to know, they need to know that the Lord will free them from everything. And we need to know that there is nothing that God cannot free us from. And so we come to this last battle, the plague. The plague on the firstborn of all of Egypt. This is the Lord's judgment on the masters of Egypt for enslaving his people. The plague will come and every firstborn in the land will die. From the very top of the pile, Pharaoh's son will die. Even their cattle, the firstborn, will die. This is judgment. Tough judgment that we don't find very palatable and easy to swallow in our nice clean cut day and age. But this is judgment. And judgment on the bloodline that has brought death and captivity to God's people. The people of God are to ask their Egyptian captors for silver and gold, just as it was promised in Genesis, that they would, they would take from Egypt. They would leave with mighty riches. They would rob the land as they went. That they were to get ready for a journey. When they eat the Passover, they're to have their coat tucked into their belt. They're to have their sandals on. They're to have their staff ready. They've got to be ready to go. They're to have bread without yeast, because if you're in a hurry, you haven't got time for the bread to rise. 
and they're to stay in their house under protection for the whole of the night. One of the commentators put it succinctly like this, and I say it just, sometimes you just need to say these things as someone else has said them, because they can say them much better than you. There are things that we can take out from this encounter in Exodus. The first one is this, is that relationship with God is a life or death issue. Jesus makes that clear. I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. But the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And it's only by being identified as the people of God that we get exemption from death. It's a life or death issue. But redemption comes at a cost. The breaking of the bondage of Egypt was not accomplished until the death penalty had been imposed. Israel's freedom was costly. And the last thing, release from death, is accomplished by sacrifice. That picture in the Old Testament that our sin is covered and paid for in blood Hebrews puts it like this, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. But let me finish with this. You see, the Old Testament is rammed full of things that We look at and we think they make sense, but there's always more. And there is a richness in Old Testament Scripture in these big stories that carries us right through to the new. And if you've seen this before, then don't give it away to the rest of the congregation. If you haven't seen it before, then let me try and explain. You see... When Moses describes what they're to do, they're to get the hyssop plant, which, you know, if you look it up now, says um, um, says some form of mint. Actually, it was probably nearer rosemary. This is from my garden this morning. Because it's got twigs. And they're to put the blood of the animal that they have just sacrificed, they're to catch the blood in a bowl. And then they're to dip the hyssop into the blood and they're to mark the top of the doorframe. And they're also to mark the sides of the doorframe. Did you see it? just in case you're not getting the clue. (laughs) How powerful is this? That even in the second book of the Bible, there is the, 
the picture of the grace and the mercy of God. That a lamb is sacrificed. A lamb is sacrificed, its blood poured out for the people. And they're to take his blood and they're to mark their door frames with the blood of the lamb. And they're to stay in the protection of that household overnight while the angel of death passes over and passes judgment on the sin of a nation. And they go free. They go free because the blood of a lamb. And Jesus comes and pours out his blood for us. And his blood gets plastered, splattered on the door frames. And we get to live under his protection. And we don't sit under the judgment of death, but we receive freedom. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus cannot cover. There is no sin that you can engage in. There is no place that you can go that is too dark. There is no bondage that you can be in, no captivity that he cannot free you from. Even in the second book of the Bible, Yahweh has a plan. A plan not just to free the people of God, but to include us in the people of God. To make us holy. Let me finish with a couple of verses from another book in the Bible that you will know well. And with this I close in prayer. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him who graciously gives us all things, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding from us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor the present nor the future nor any powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ 